I am uh, Nicolas Bornosis, president of Capital Inc. And I would like to welcome you all today for a unique webinar that we have the privilege and honor to host. It's on the topic of uh, women in shipping. Uh, diversity uh, is uh, one of the key topics, uh, not only for the maritime industry, but across uh, all industries. And uh, we are delighted to have with us today uh, a very powerful and diverse panel of senior executives involved in various areas of the industry worldwide. So all I'm going to do is say thank you to uh, Nicola Good for uh, moderating it. Actually, I have to say that uh, this idea started with Nicola a few years ago uh, and uh, we kept it alive and today we are able to put together this wonderful panel. And of course, thank you to the panelists. Uh, and uh, uh, if I may say a special also thanks to Caroline who is uh, uh, joining us from Singapore. So it's quite late there. So okay. thank you everybody. It's actually uh, a testament of the globalization in terms of technology, because we are in London, we are in New York, we are in Cyprus, Athens, uh, Singapore. Uh, the world is here today to talk about this topic. So thank you. And Nicola, please take over. Uh, thanks for the very kind introduction, Nicholas. It's a real um, honor to be able to moderate the session on a topic that's so close to my heart, and especially with a panel of so many esteemed maritime leaders. I mean, improving gender diversity is not just a maritime pro um, problem. It affects every industry in every geography. Many fields of education and career tracks uh, will enjoy relative gender parity at entry level. But as the years pass, this balance can be subject to other demands. Career interruptions and caring responsibilities can hinder professional progression, reduce corporate visibility and kibosh leadership aspirations. Um, there is no shortage of capable women. Um, far too frequently, it's that skilled and abled women are not front of mind or in the right place at the right time when opportunities emerge, and rarely is that any fault of their own. This problem can be heightened in maritime, which, as a less visible industry than others, is sometimes on the back foot when it comes to securing entry-level talent and retaining its recruits. While the face of the industry is evolving, well-established and often male-dominated networks remain a feature, and this clubby nature can be unwelcoming and intimidating, and intimidating for newcomers. And as we all know, these workplace coalitions can prove invaluable for forging transformative contacts and connections. Simply put, as per the 2019 World Maritime Day theme of empowering women in the maritime community, the shipping industry should better harness the many and varied talents of half the population, given its key role in, in maintaining global supply chains. This requires better education about what we do as an industry, but it also relies on fostering an environment where people can confidently put down professional roots and grow knowing that they will be nurtured and that they will enjoy a place in the sun. 2020 is proving a landmark year in all our lives. Our best laid plans have had to be reconsidered as we've collectively grappled with restrictions on our movements, changed routines and new ways of working. 
And while we assess the status quo of our industry in terms of gender equality as part of today's event, it is timely to look at what virtual ways of working as a result of COVID-19 could mean for the women in the marine and offshore industry. To kick off today's discussion, I'll ask each of our six um, speakers to introduce themselves and offer an initial insight on the status quo of women in maritime. What's changed since they joined the sector and where further efforts are required? Starting with Lois Zabrocki, Chief Executive of International Seaways, who's only able to join us for the first part of this call this morning. Over to you, Lois. Thank you so much, Nicola. Lois Zabrocki, International Seaways. And uh, I joined the industry, um, you know, really when uh, I got out of Cape Point in 1991, and I sailed for um, a period of like six months as survey and a chemical tanker. Definitely was uh, the only woman on, on board the, the chemical tanker, and then I went to work for the predecessor company of the company that I'm now CEO of. And without a doubt, you know, they had never had a woman uh, in commercial chartering at uh, OSG or MOC as it was back then, right? So when you look at the, the, the progress, it has been, you know, massive, you know, in the last, you know, three decades, although, uh, you know, it's, it's never quick enough. But I, I guess, you know, from the position that I sit in now, you know, I think that, that there has been massive strides and when you, when you start at the top and you look in the boardrooms, um, hedge funds and, um, you know, if you think about Weber's scorecard on governance and ISS, um, which is institutional uh, shareholder services. So, you know, for a publicly traded company, in order for ISS to endorse your slate of uh, board prospects, you know, they want to see diversity, and this is the 2020 is the first year where ISS is giving a ding if you have an all-male slate of directors. So, um, you, you know, you, you don't, it's not legislated, but you see companies hustling to, to make themselves more diverse. Thank you, Nicola. Over to you, Krista. Thank you. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining. My name is Krista Volpicelli. I'm a managing director at Citigroup, and I head up our shipping investment banking activities globally. So I focus on helping public companies raise equity and debt in the capital markets and advise on mergers and acquisitions within the maritime and, and some of the other related sectors. I have been at Citi now for over 18 years. Um, always based in New York, always with a global focus. Um, I guess, so the two questions, insight on status quo, um, what I would say here is, despite the fact that um, men still do outnumber women with respect to most of my clients leading shipping companies other than folks like Lois, <laughs> um, but also within uh, my other colleagues, um, senior investment bankers, uh, you, you still see fewer women than men. Um, so, so those are just numbers. The numbers have been increasing. But what I can say about the status quo today is that throughout my career at City, I, I will say that I've never felt that my franchise, my effectiveness, or my impact 
um, in terms of my professionalism has suffered by virtue of fact, the fact that I'm a woman. And so I, I think that that is fantastic uh, in terms of, you know, the culture of Citigroup and, um, you know, the relationships that we have built with our clients. But what I would say is more efforts are definitely required. Uh, I think it's incumbent upon all of us as leaders of the organizations that we are in to help continue to uh, call for transparency and effect change to help drive to see more women in the senior management positions, which they're quite capable of and, and quite deserving of. So I'd say um, more to come there, but um, certainly with respect to being a female within banking, um, you know, I have nothing but good things to say. Excellent. I'm um, over to you, Cecilia. Okay, thank you. So my name is uh, Cecilia Östermann. Uh, I have a background as a marine engineer. Uh, today I'm a, a researcher in human factors and uh, working condition at the Kalmar Maritime Academy in, uh, at Linnaeus University in uh, southeast Sweden. And uh, this year, it's actually 30 years ago since I started in this industry when I first signed on as a young engine apprentice in 1990. And uh, even if I was in no means one of the real pioneers, I was not the first one, but it was still, I would say, more uncommon with women working on board than it is today. And, I can see we, there is still lots of work to do, as you have already mentioned, but I've seen we still come a, a long way because on my first vessel, the, the chief engineer called me and, and the other apprentice uh, young boys. And he would say like, oh, come on, boys, I'll show you this. And I was just too afraid to tell him like, I'm not a little boy. And I thought, hey, the man must see in the master list that my name is Cecilia. He, he should realize that I'm actually a, a girl or if not a woman. So, uh, but it's uh, from this 30 years ago, me being afraid to, to tell him that I was actually not a little boy, we've come a long way. And, and during my, my years in, in the maritime industry, I've gone from being told straight out that no, we don't employ women in this, uh, in this ship, shipping company. And that was okay. I didn't even question it. It was just uh, like how it was. I went gradually during the 90s from, from being actually sort of indifferent and then actually being sought after actively uh, in a way of more of an alibi, I would say, or, or almost pinkwash that shipping companies would want to show up. Hey, look how progressive we are. We have a woman here. So I would front uh, the cover of annual reports and uh, being participating in, in career events to, to show off like, hey, look what we got, a, a woman engineer. And, and today where I can feel like it's 2020, so I'm a little bit upset. Are we still having this conversation? Really? I mean, is this something that we really need to sit here? I mean, we are a bunch of busy women here having to discuss our, our worth at this 2020. So yes, we, we are, we still have some, some work to do, but we're getting there. And, and as, as we're coming to later, I think it's at this time, we've come so far to, to acknowledge that Gender equality is not a numbers game. It's not about the number of women. It's actually more a question of women having real power and influence to, to influence the, their own, the society and also their own working conditions. Thank you, Cecilia. That was quite an intro. Um, over to you, Caroline. Caroline? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone who's logged into this webinar. And thank you for having me on this panel. So by way of introduction, I actually run a shipping company in Singapore. Um, Honglam Marine owns and operates 36 small tankers. I have about 750 employees on ashore on board the vessels. And I am also the president of the Singapore Shipping Association, SSA in short. We have about 480 members ranging from international ship owners to local ship owners, as well as members who are from the banks, insurance, legal and other services. So we do consider ourselves as a collective voice of the maritime industry in Singapore. So like um, Cecilia, I actually entered the maritime industry almost 30 years ago. And we fast forward to now 2020. So in the maritime sector in Singapore, on the government side, we have our first female chief executive of the Maritime Port Authority of Singapore. So, and I was just thinking the other day, I have gone through quite a few chief executives from NPA and she is the best one yet. And she is hardworking. She has the courage to make and stand by her decisions. She stands with her team always. And for the Maritime Union, the head of the Singapore Maritime Officers Union is also a female. She is a stalwart and a staunch advocate for the seafarers. And then I, the first female to be elected as the president of an industry association representing the shipping companies in Singapore. So this speaks well of Singapore as one of the leading maritime centers of the world. And the tripartite cooperation between the three ladies have been amazing thus far. So in between these two points in time, I have seen a greater participation of women in the maritime sector. Do I see an equal participation? The answer is of course no. Many reasons probably would take quite a few days or weeks if we want to go through and dissect them. But maritime has always been seen as a men's business until very recently because when you speak of maritime, the men in the street thinks of the seafarers and the ships and that is male-dominated even today. So I think we need to create that awareness, and it has to be a sustained awareness, especially in the minds of the young people, that maritime, akin to aviation, is an attractive sector to be in, and there is career progression and different areas to maritime. So in short, just as Nicholas said, we need to increase the visibility of maritime, and no better time to do now with all the social media tools at our disposal. Great, thank you, Caroline. Over to you, Dora. Thanks, Nick, thanks very much. And thanks to Capital Link for inviting me and uh, for enabling me to be um, a member of this great panel. Um, I, I'm in awe uh, of the ladies that have spoken already, and I'm sure there's more to come. Um, there's very strong personalities here, um, and by way of background, um, I, I, I by no means compare at all, but I think everybody has to offer a different story uh, with different backgrounds, and this is something that I wanted to talk about today. Um, I come from Greece originally. Um, I grew up in Greece, and then I came over to the UK to study. Um, I, I became a, a Stevenson Harwood child very early on in life, as I found the training contracts there um, and Stevenson Harwood was kind enough to take me in. Um, I, I qualified there and I became a partner a few years down the line. Um, having got married to somebody who's also a partner at Stevenson Harwood, and I'm saying that for a reason, 
um, and having now um, two daughters, six and two years old. Um, from what has changed from my perspective, I mean, I think the legal story is interesting because it's slightly different um, in the sense that it so happens that in law, you do see quite a lot of women entering the profession um, where it's not very different, and that's no difference in terms of the maritime element or not, is that um, as you go through the ranks and as people become more senior, you see less and less women becoming more senior. And not just women, but, you know, people that come from other ethnic minorities, particularly in England, you know, from different ethnic backgrounds and so on and so forth. So that's quite interesting. And that's something that perhaps we can touch upon a bit later. Um, but also, interestingly enough, in the, maritime, um, in the maritime sector, in the maritime sphere, you do come across less women even within the legal profession. So I think in itself, that's quite interesting because it ties in with what the other ladies have been describing as their experiences in maritime in general. Um, it has changed a lot from my perspective as well. I mean, it used to be that um, I would walk in, particularly being quite young, and they would say, who is this trainee? Um, and at that point, I would be a partner who is that trainee lady who has to sign some documents and take them away. Uh, so I think all of that has gone away, and that's quite important. Um, but also, I think there is much more ladies uh, that are present these days, including in conferences, uh, on board vessels, and in every, every single sort of area of the maritime sector. Um, that plus, I think, communication are the keys for me, um, what has changed through the years. Communication to speak about the issues, the problems, you know, what we want to achieve, where we want to get to. So I think those are the two things that have changed massively um, since I started back in 2004. Excellent. Thank you, Dora. And by last but by no means least, over to you, Despina. Thank you, Nicola. It's, it's a real pleasure to be here with you today and, and with, uh, with all uh, these fantastic ladies. Um, so I, I come from Cyprus. I grew up in Limassol, which is one of the biggest ship management uh, centers in the world. Um, my father uh, was in the shipping industry until he retired a few years ago. So I grew up in the industry. It was something normal for me, although while I was growing up, I have to say, even though I I grew up on an island. It wasn't that usual back then to, to be in the shipping industry. Now it's changed uh, and, and uh, we're very fortunate for that. Um, I am the co-CEO of Dodoteo Maritime, which is a maritime solutions provider. We specialize in maritime satellite communications, digital technologies, and fleet optimization services. But we also have more traditional services like um, providing and, and maintaining and installing uh, bridge systems. Um, I am president of, of West International and I'm on the board of the Cyprus Shipping Chamber for the last seven years. Um, as I said, I, I grew up in shipping. I, I have to say um, I started my career as a trainee at the shipping company and then very um, quickly I found my way to the group of companies I work for now. Um, I was also very fortunate to not have encountered um, the many problems that we hear from other ladies. Um, but, you know, being uh, becoming involved with WISTA, it has sort of opened my eyes in what is going on um, in other parts of the business or in other parts of the world. And uh, you come to the realization that even though we've, we've made, I, I feel we've made leaps lately, but we still have a very long way to go. Um, 
particularly in, in my part of the industry, the um, connectivity side, where it has to do with shipping, but it also has to do with the space. Uh, 15 years ago, when we went to um, maritime conferences, there were maybe three to five women there. And we still see each other and we'll still remember about the time when we were very few in the room. Um, it's changed now. Um, and I think the most significant change that I see, especially lately, is the fact that we don't uh, think anymore that the issues of diversity and inclusion are, are issues that affect only women, but it's, they are issues that affect the whole industry. We all need to work together to, to overcome these issues. And uh, we need to um, take, we have taken many steps forward, but I agree with the rest of the ladies that there's still uh, a lot that we need to do. Great, thanks for that, Despina. We are still only eight months into 2020, and this has been a year of significant change. I mean, judging by some of the headlines in the international media, it seems that some feel that this routine change inflicted by COVID, home working, and in some cases, 24 seven family life, complete with homeschooling, may compromise career progression. But does our panel think that our virtual existence may be the flattener of some of the hierarchies that can dominate marriage? time. I mean, starting with you again, Despina, because you've been in the hot seat, how has the use of digitalization tools helped shipping overcome some of the challenges being faced by pandemic restrictions? And are these digital tools alternatives altering traditional corporate practices? Oh, you're on mute, darling. Despina, you're on mute. Sorry, I was just trying to. Thank you, Nicola. Um, it's a very interesting question, and, and it's something we have been discussing in the last few months. Uh, our ability to now bring the ship into the total supply chain and liaise remotely across the whole chain is going to be key in the recovery of, um, you know, global trade. Um, ship managers and technology firms, uh, ship owners, young startups that have seen the gaps in operational efficiencies have spent the last few years developing um, remote digital capabilities and we now find some of them being tested very eagerly. Um, imagine how um, we would have responded to a global pandemic a, a decade or two ago um, that imagine if we didn't have Zoom, for example, or all the other platforms, and we didn't have fast data streaming and no uh, algorithms to help with business processes. Um, as examples, we have seen all the major uh, classification societies offer virtual or remote sur uh, surveys. They began doing this before 2020, but because of what is going on, they have had to refine and really get their services out there. Um, also, we have seen other companies seek better communication uh, and connectivity, a trend which has been evolving over the last three or four years. Um, those that had already taken steps to digitalize uh, some of their operational processes before 2020 will likely be able to reap the benefits and the rewards um, uh, of less disruption. Um, other companies are now seeking those tools to strengthen their resilience. Um, but we do have, you know, we are thankful for having greater uh, cloud computing storage capabilities. We have faster processing now. We have advanced capabilities with more sophisticated algorithms and greater connectivity. And, and all this help create um, growth in actionable data and analysis. Um, while this is a very tough year for all of us, 
um, I think it will be seen as the year that maritime digitalization proved that it's there, uh, that it has arrived. Um, there are companies that are struggling and as they return, and I hope as they return back to some operational or more operational uh, normality, they will, I suspect, see the cost benefit as well of being more proactive about uh, digitalization and security. Excellent, thanks. Uh, over to you, Lois. Um, as a ship owner, how has your organization addressed the working flexibility required by the pandemic? You know, uh, we haven't been back into our New York City uh, premises uh, since, you know, March 12th or something like this. So everybody uh, has been working from home and, you know, we, we do have a strong contingent of women across financial planning, uh, treasury, you know, heading, heading our treasury and, and accounting. And it's interesting, uh, you know, uh, everything has been done and executed on time. And, you know, I know, you know, one of our, our women in accounting has two young daughters and she's sending emails at, you know, um, midnight, you know, and I'm, I'm quite sure that, that um, she's, you know, multitasking. And, and he's getting everything done that, that he needs to get done. And I really feel like our team has worked incredibly hard. And, and nobody is checking in to, to, to see, you know, you know, with their thumb on you, you know, are, are you working from nine to five or are you working from, you know, six to three or what are you doing, right? You know, um, and, you know, and the work is getting done. So. You know, I think that in this time, you know, the, the team has come together and, and everybody has done what they needed to do. So I've been very impressed uh, across the board, including, um, you know, including with, with all of our team uh, pitching in at whatever hour is convenient for them. Great. Thanks, Lois. Um, over to you, Caroline. Do you think virtual ways of working have opened opportunity and flattened and streamlined corporate or team structures? Mute. Yeah. Hi. So I think the COVID-19 has uh, completely put to rest the myth that working from home is not possible. It is possible and it does not affect your productivity. It is not less effective. So I think one of the good that came out of this pandemic is that almost anyone can work from home effectively. And, and hopefully this is another step forward for women remaining in the workforce, whichever industry they are in. So to answer the question of opportunities, I do believe that opportunities are going to be open and will continue to open as we progress further with this digitalization of the maritime sector that will really open the opportunities to many other people. Um, in terms of streamlining corporate team structures, I think we are still quite, um, the hierarchy is still there. It will take some time. Great. Thanks. Um, thanks, Caroline. Over to you, Krista. Primarily as a woman in finance, have you witnessed any changes as a result of the new normal that might incentivize or disincentivize women from entering a maritime career? Um, <clears throat> I, I, I'm not sure it's completely black and white, but I would say, you know, I certainly think, um, you know, as others have said, some of the embracing of, of these new digital tools and, you know, organizations are becoming comfortable across the board 
in terms of, of using them. And so I do think that going forward, um, you will likely see shifts with companies in terms of providing more flexibilities um, as, as people return to the office permanently. Uh, I think we've proved that you can effectively work remotely. And I think that that may be an incentive um, towards women who, who are going to be balancing things. Um, you know, what might disincentivize women? Um, there's been, you know, lots of studies and experts talking about the stresses that the current environment is placing on families who have dual working parents, um, children at home, and how oftentimes in those situations, it is the woman that is sacrificing her career in terms of juggling all these things. And so I, I do think that that is a very personal challenge. Um, you know, what we're doing at Citigroup as, as we think about navigating this is just trying to be respectful of everyone's situation during this time. Um, we're not, we, we haven't set deadlines to, to have people come back into to our New York office, but even once we do um, start to open things up, um, the plan is to allow a lot of flexibility in terms of an individual's personal choice, um, trying to be respectful of, of what everyone is, is dealing with because uh, we're, we're just in such unprecedented times and that can create very personal stresses on individuals and their situations. Great, thanks Krista. Um, Cecilia, Dora, do you have any virtual views? Um, yeah, I mean, COVID has definitely shaped our, our digital future. It, it's, uh, but there are of course big differences also, both among sectors and also among jobs and, and geographically. And uh, as we all know, uh, the pandemic has been managed differently in all our countries. Uh, and uh, when I read international media about how Sweden has uh, <laughs> That's uh, the Swedish strategy about pandemic. I wonder if I'm in the same country because we're actually no, no way near this systemic collapse as, as, the, as depicted in the international media. But we, haven't, um, uh, we have not shut down the, the elementary schools during the COVID. We have not shut down the preschools or kindergarten, making it somewhat a little easier for many to, to work from home when you don't have to homeschool your, your children at the same time. It makes it a little bit easier and also um, uh, but we also see a, a clear difference i would say in a gender perspective how the pandemic has affected men and women in general because we know that uh, due to the gender segregated labor market that we have uh, all over the world uh, there are more women who have jobs where it's difficult to to perform difficult or impossible to perform from home and also with the generally with less flexibility flexibility and the tourism sector for instance has been very very uh, hard hit hard by the coronavirus which means that uh, in shipping terms the cruise industry has been of course very much affected mm. and, and this is where we find most of the women working so in, in Sweden, for instance, almost 20% of the seafarers that work in the service departments in, on ships have actually lost their jobs during the, the pandemic since March. So that's, uh, that's really hit hard. So, so I would say that even if shore-based office workers have been forced to take gigantic steps into a new normal and, and learning, having to learn new innovative ways of, of work, uh, this is not true for all. What we could say that possibly to, to at least go out on a, on a positive note, I would say this uh, virtualization of major events like, like we're having here today 
that could possibly lead to, to the more people will be able to participate at, at the low cost, which would enable also junior professionals to network and, and increase their capacity building. And, and this could be positive for, for women, I think. Roman, that's a great point. Um, um, Dora, any virtual views from you? Are you there, Dora? Um, well, I'll go on to the next question. Um, everyone mentioned numbers at the start. We've often, we've heard that oft quoted statistic of women only representing 2% of the world's 1.2 million seafarers. Admittedly, I've never really been able to get a clear breakdown on the number of women working across the maritime sector, either on sea or at shore. But how do we find and agree on effective ways for measuring success on gender diversity in maritime? I mean, over to you, Lois, what does success look like for international seaways in terms of gender diversity? Our seafarers are actually, our, our count is probably similar to what you're saying. You know, we have, you know, maybe 25 women serving on board our international uh, uh, fleet of sailors. And, and I do think that, you know, it's, it's uh, complex, you know, to get uh, women out at sea. I think there's a higher percentage of um, American Jones Act seafarers uh, that, that, that would be women. You know, so we work on that, you know, we cultivate uh, making sure that the, these women are supported and, and, you know, we have our hotline and we've had cases where we've gone out to investigate uh, the environmental board and met the ship with uh, not only council but female support teams and stuff like that when we've had incidents. I think shoreside diversity of all sorts will only increase and when you know when I look at uh, international seaways and, and our makeup of women, you know we we have a, a big percentage of women in the office. We also have probably out of forty uh, shoreside staff something more than a dozen nationalities. But we still need more diversity on the team, and I I think that you know, when, when I look across, uh, you know, we've had a lot of women that are, um, you know, moving up in the ranks. And I, I think what success looks like is go, you know, going in and taking these um, high potential, you know, individuals and developing them and, and helping, you know, finding out, you know, what are their ambitions and what, you know, what will it, uh, what additional development will it take for them to uh, break into uh, the senior team? Great. Thanks, Lois. Um, Caroline, do you have any views on what success uh, should look like? Um, okay, I will talk about success more in a general sense for women. So um, I think an ideal for me is um, women should be allowed to choose. They would be allowed to choose to work full-time, part-time, or not at all, and be at peace with that decision. And that we need to also be realistic that sometimes we need to give up one role to be more fulfilled in another role, whatever that may be. Yeah, so that's one. Um, that we learn from the men their best practices. For example, their sustained networking ability. Because sometimes hard work needs to go hand in hand with being there at the right place at the right time and being noticed. Yeah, so I think that's something that we really need to learn from the men. 
and that women continue to be increasingly, increasingly supportive of their fellow women and opening doors for them when the opportunity arises, especially more for the senior women in the maritime industry. In fact, I feel that it's our responsibility. Yeah. Um, there is a level playing field. There isn't, currently there isn't, not only in terms of gender, but also race, also nationality. And that when we are in a level playing field, that we do not expect any preferential treatment. So I think once for me, if we can succeed in all these areas, um, success would come naturally. Great, thanks Caroline. Um, while there are many national incentives underway trying to gauge how many women are involved in the maritime sector, I mean, the Women in Maritime Task Force in the UK is one, what's happening internationally? Despina, what is Worcester doing? And how has it evolved its approach in, in, in during the years? And, and what's planned, to, what's planned on, on this? Well, first of all, Nicola, I would like to say that uh, WISTA supports all these national initiatives as they are a great help in gauging what is happening in those countries and perhaps even in whole regions. Um, you mentioned the um, International uh, Maritime Day theme before, and for the last, for the large part of 2019, we had a drive within WISTA to support the IMO um, with the team of empowering women in the maritime uh, industry. Um, and this led to an MOU that we signed with the IMO earlier this year and a commitment by us to ensure, by us jointly, I mean, to ensure that uh, the gains we made in 2019 continued into 2020 and subsequent years. While the pandemic has been hugely disruptive, it, it has not led to any wavering in, in our commitment. Um, we have a growing number of national WIST associations around, around the world and a growing um, uh, membership. We are partnered with a number of other associations and bodies to support their efforts and encourage diversity awareness in all aspects, uh, many of which have been keen to engage further. Um, so what we still have planned, although we had some delays due to the situation we're all facing, is the IMO Wisdom Survey on the number of women in maritime, uh, which is to launch this autumn. We're also planning an international speakers bureau to make women professionals that are interested in speaking at events um, accessible to the event organizers. Uh, we're now embarking on research to establish how COVID has affected women working in maritime. And we have just launched a survey among women seafarers uh, together with Anglo Eastern, uh, the International Chamber of Shipping and Ice One, uh, in order to update our onboard diversity booklet, which was first released in 2018. Um, in light of the huge restrictions we are faced with this year, we are pushing to see continued effort to ensure that diversity and gender awareness remain a discussion point wherever and whenever it needs to be. Great. I mean, I didn't know about that survey, but I'll definitely be looking out for that. Um, Cecilia, over to you. And something that I've had a sneak peek at some of the questions, something that one of a question that might possibly answer some of those. You spent time at sea in the early part of your career. What would deliver a more diverse seagoing workforce in your view? Yeah. Wouldn't you really want me to deliver a quick fix, a silver bullet now? <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's in our human mind that we're always looking for this silver bullet to shoot the werewolf with and, and everything. We, we want easy solutions to complex problems. And of course, there is no such one fix, one easy solution. 
we must strive for gender mainstreaming all across. We cannot let this issue ride sidecar that we have this little, uh, like, like this event now, where women discussing women and taking respons responsibility for gender equality. It must be across all, all levels. So we have to look at, at uh, policy making in legislation and making decision making. It must be in education. We're talking both how to recruit women. I mean, that is, uh, at least in Sweden, that's a big issue now. How can we recruit, well, not only women, but, but young seafarers, attracting young seafarers, and especially, especially women to tap out from, from the other 50% of the population. But we must also discuss how can we retain the people. We need to have decent working conditions. And, and here we see from, from research that, the, that when you improve working conditions so that women tend to, to like them more, that actually suits younger men also. So, so that would be good both for men and women and not only, a, it's not pie, just because I get a bigger piece doesn't mean that you lose out or anything. That's important to say. So we must integrate women in mainstream activities but you also must increase the percentage of women at senior management levels within the entire sector, because we need role models. Everybody needs role models. And, and not only role models at a sort of unattainable level, like we can't all be Kamala Harris or Angela Merkel or, or, or Despina, but what we need, we need role models just, bef just above us. Like, yeah, I can also be like you. In a few years, I can be there as well. So when I see panels, I want to see panels of people reflecting me. So I recognize myself. I don't want to see white middle-aged men talking about interesting things. We, we must uh, go across all this level. And also including access to employment. I mean, that is not really a big thing in, in Sweden when it comes to allowing women to work. But it's still, uh, um, it, it's still, difficult to, to, to women to achieve higher position because there is this gender bias. So it, it must be an integral element, I would say, across all activities. So Thanks. that's the, the difficult answer. Great. Thanks, Cecilia. Um, what can maritime learn from other industries? Um, Dora, as a lawyer, what practices have you seen within the legal community that have improved diversity? Um, it, that's a good question. I think it's a good question of legal as well because uh, traditionally I think legal is probably one of the more conservative <laughs> and less sort of changing or slower changing industries compared to the general maritime. Um, I think there is a real shift which ties in quite well with what Cecilia was saying just now in terms of the mentoring approach and actually trying to connect people that you know want to see people that have progressed and are a little bit sort of higher in the hierarchy above them but that they can feel that they can touch and that they can become them you know in the wider sense so I think the um a, a lot of law firms including ourselves at Stevenson Har would do active mentoring and interestingly enough now we have started seeing it going the other way around so you've got uh, the more senior staff and partners included being mentored by more junior uh, but more junior staff in order to understand what the real challenges are how they can help them and how we can learn in order to introduce what Cecilia was talking about in terms of the higher ranks of management um, a good way of bringing those people up, but also educating people around us who might be a bit more resistant to change 
uh, and to discussing change as well. So I think the legal profession is interesting uh, because I think it is more traditional, uh, but there have been a lot of changes and, and in some cases dramatic, like, you know, we have seen law firms introducing quotas as well. So on the partner level, at least, and, that, and that's a very interesting story in itself. But I think the sort of management tackling of the whole issue of gender inequality, but all kinds of inequalities as well, and the way that the mentoring works, I think is good. Is two good things that that we can introduce to to maritime and and beyond. Great. Um. Thanks, Amadora. Um. Krista, uh, what can we learn from finance? What can maritime learn from finance? Sure. Um, so I would echo some of Dora's comments around mentoring program. I would say the, the, the three things that come to mind when you say what, what can you learn from um, finance are the mentorship programs that we have, which similar to the law firms um, have been integral to, um, I'd say, cities culture since I started. And if anything, over the last decade have really accelerated. Um, number two is is training. Um, we've had a big focus over the last several years internally around um, training managers around unconscious biases. You know, how do you think about reviewing your people, and are there are there words that people may choose to describe the performance of a woman versus a male, and are those are there biases in your mind that are influencing how you describe that person? that may be less impactful in terms of how they progress through their career. And then lastly, the third item is, is just measuring data. So City um, actually publishes an annual talent and diversity report on our website where we report lots of statistics. We talk about various initiatives that we have. Um, and this is you know, not just around women initiative, but it's around other diversity initiatives within the firm. Uh, with the idea that increased transparency creates accountability, it creates credibility. Um, one example of an initiative City Group launched in 2019 was a big um, ad campaign focused around um, putting a spotlight on the issue of um, the disparities in, in pay gap that persists between women and men. And what, it was a very creative campaign. Um, what the firm did was they took children of City Group employees and they, um, they took a photo of the child's expression when they revealed to the child that um, by the, the, the gender pay gap, essentially. So they said, you know, what do you think about, you know, the fact that if your mom was working in this industry, that she would earn much less than your dad. And so they took photos of these children's reactions, which are priceless. Um, launched the ad campaign in Times Square with all these photos and it was a big part of you know having this conversation um, and that's information you know we measure it um, you know on an adjusted basis when you adjust for roles within city uh, there is no statistically significant pay gap between women and men um, but we've also taken it upon ourselves to report the unadjusted data Right. So if you, if you look at the fact that the reality is there are higher portions of women in roles that tend to be lower paying, um, you know, such as executive assistants, you know, then if you don't adjust the data, there is a pay gap. But, you know, we're very proud that for like for like positions, we don't have that. And so by taking it upon senior management to report that data, to report it publicly, 
um, combined with a lot of the initiatives that we have in terms of the mentoring programs to really ensure that um, at the employee level, combined with support at the top, um, that we're just creating, trying to create this culture uh, that diversity is embraced. Great, thanks, Krista. I mean, I have to agree on measurements and metrics. Um, I think it was Dora who raised the, the, the who raised quotas, and I think it, I mean I, I mean we've seen notable success with quotas in in Scandinavia. And um, Cecilia, given that women now represent 46 percent of the Swedish Parliament and fifty percent of the government's um, of the government's cabinet, do you think quotas work? And how would how would they work in maritime? Um. Yeah, we, we have we have what, what they call themselves the world's first feminist government, and I think contrary to contrary to what many believe, uh, this is actually not a regulation. So, in Norway, for instance, they have actually legislation that uh, that stipulate that you have to have a certain quota of, of women in in uh, in the industry and on executive boards and so forth. But we don't have that legislation in Sweden. It's been proposed several times, but but never. So this is actually so, <clears throat> so the so the right the gender equal government that we have in Sweden is actually a result of of a conscious policy making and a decision, not a, a legislation. And and I think that that is one thing because it, we already have quotas when it comes to men. I mean, I, I think we all agree that we don't want we want the best person doing the job. It shouldn't be quoted just because you're a woman or a man. But we must realize that in the situation today, men are having the affirmative action being quoted into to a lot of jobs before women. Because uh, <clears throat> this unconscious bias that we often hear about is not unconscious at all. We can see that the, the, this both men and women are biased towards, towards women. Right. And we, see, we see, for instance, uh, there are examples of orchestras. When they had musicians started to audition and play behind the screen so that the, the panel couldn't see who was actually playing, you could see that more women could enter into, into orchestras, for instance. Great. So, Thanks for that, Cecilia. Um, Dora, you mentioned your workplace actually having quotas in place. I mean, what impact have those, I mean, last question before we turn to the many questions that have come in. I mean, what are your views on quotas? Yeah, I mean, actually, we don't have them at Stevenson Harwood, uh, but there are law firms that do have them. Um, and on so the, my personal opinion is that I don't think that in the long term, they work although obviously that is to be seen because we are going through an era where they are being introduced so it hasn't I don't think been seen in terms of the result yet um, the effect is obviously that you know they they achieve something very quickly in terms of the numbers but my biggest concern is how the people that were not part of the quotas including the women that made it without quotas feel and I think that is the biggest question mark that I've got and I think that a lot of people that share the concern about the quotas have as well um, so yes in terms of numbers I can see it working in terms of the long run I do think that it introduces a question mark about ability which may be right or may be wrong you know it doesn't matter but it, it does introduce that question mark and I think it poses that challenge uh, and something that needs to be answered on top of everything else that's happening when when you follow them 
Great. Thanks for that, Dora. We've had quite a lot of questions, and I'm going to go to the lovely Helen Booney, who I happen to know. Her question is, today is International Youth Day. How can we best attract young talent, particularly women, to the maritime industry in a post-COVID-19 world? Um, Caroline, you sort of spoke about the, the, the powerful triumvirate in Singapore. Do you have any views on how we can get the youth into shipping? Yes, um, this is something that's very close to my heart. I've always felt that why would the young people, the young children, when they think that I'm going to be a pilot, it's a dream. Why not a captain on board? Why not a master on a ship? You know, we need, we need to go out to the young. We need to um, create that awareness. We need to see what we can do in um, making it interesting for the young people. And I mean, short of a better word, we need to find a way to brain, brainwash our kids that the maritime sector is an interesting sector and it is one that provides a meaningful employment and it doesn't have to be seafaring and if in the future seafaring, um, going out to the sea for a sustained period of time is not something that is workable, can we think about a shorter time? that we can attract more young people to come in. But seafaring, I mean, maritime is not only about seafaring. So it's really, if you ask me, let's start from the very young. From the very young, we go to the high school, we go to the senior high, we go to the tertiary institutions. We never let up. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Caroline. Despina, do you have any views on getting young people into maritime? Well, what we do need to consider is that the younger generation is much more sensitive to diversity issues and to um, sustainability issues. Um, and this is something we, we really need to keep in mind when we uh, discuss how to attract them to our industry. Um, we need to be more open. Uh, we really need to walk the talk when it comes to, to diversity. If companies are promoting diversity, then commitment needs to come from the top. That's very important, but it's, it is also imperative that the people that are responsible for hiring are trained on unconscious bias, Cecilia mentioned it before, but are also committed to having diverse teams, that they have clear targets, uh, targets on hiring uh, with diversity in mind. Um, companies need to build appropriate environments, one um, of inclusion where people's voice um, and their contributions are acknowledged. That's something that is, again, very important uh, to young people. They need to feel that their contributions are acknowledged, that they need to feel that they are making um, good work uh, and that uh, they are creating something good where they are. Um, and um, I could even talk about, you know, mentoring. It can help young people progress in their careers and feel supported. Um, my view though, is if we want to promote diversity, then this needs to be applied to mentoring too. It should not be that um, a men mentor men and women mentor women. Uh, that way we're only helping an unwanted situation perpetuate. Uh, where is the diversity in that and what example are we setting for the new generations? Um, I think that's it for now. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go on to another question, and that's sort of another COVID one. Does the panel feel that access for women to senior roles in the maritime sector will be affected by the pandemic when organizations may have to lay off or restructure? Do you think women may be more severely um, affected by restructuring post-COVID? Um, 
um, Krista, we haven't heard from you in a while. Do you have any views? Um, it, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I would have to guess um, no, um, at least at least within my profession and within city, I would not view that women are going to be disproportionately impacted by men in terms of, of layoffs. I, I think that uh, with respect to you know finance and banking, I think that's definitely going to come down just to individual situations. Um, but as it was said before, I think there are certain sectors, certain um, positions which um, you know, for example, the example of the cruise industry. So uh, if you have certain jobs which are more at risk with respect to the pandemic and they happen to have more women than men, then, then yes, of course. But just on a like-for-like -like basis, I don't necessarily see it uh, within, you know, where I sit. Okay. And um, we, you, you, we almost at the close. Um, Dora, a, a last view from you and then I'll close up. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I saw the questions. They're so interesting and there's a lot to cover as well. But um, I think I, it has been a very interesting discussion. I think the, the important message to give is that across the maritime, it, I think it's very important to continue this communication, the men's ring and the, you know, the effort to try and include everybody in the discussion as to how to take this forward. Um, one other thing that came out from what you said, Nick, is that we are missing data, and that's not just in one profession or just in maritime. I think we're missing not just data, but a meaningful way of trying to find and collect the data. Um, and until we get there and have some kind of accountability in terms of publishing it, going back to it, analyzing it, and understanding what it means, we, I don't think we can get anywhere meaningfully because we are just sort of, you know, it's like the blind leading the blind almost. We, we cannot get anywhere without meaningful data across the board. And that data has to cut through the different sectors because, you know, there are different sensitivities on people that are working on board the ship, the different sensitivities for professionals in the office and so on and so forth. So I think communication, inclusivity, data um, is, is the way forward, but clearly a lot to be done as the discussion has shown. Excellent. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think that it's been a very, very, very informative session. I'm going to hand back to Nicholas, but some of the, I mean, I was writing down notes as we were going. I mean, time for us to, you know, harness our real power and influence and to maintain, sustain awareness of the fact that women are capable and very much involved in maritime have been some of my key takeaways. I would like to thank everyone for, for joining the panel today. I mean, I've truly enjoyed it. And I'm going to hand back to, to Nicholas now. There are 18 questions, which I'm, I will circulate to the panel and hopefully we will endeavor to answer either on social or try and do something with the, the questions we have to hand. But back to you, Nicholas. Well, thank you very much. Uh, as you said, uh, it, it was a, a very, very interesting discussion. We had very high power executives, uh, very diverse in terms of function geography. So all I have to do, uh, or I, I, I can do is thank you very much for uh, a skillful moderation for a very insightful discussion. I think this topic is something that needs to be revisited from time to time. Uh, I'm delighted that we had the opportunity today to have an in-depth discussion, but uh, there's more to follow and uh, we'll be delighted again to, uh, to host another discussion like that. And uh, 
uh, as we said, Nicola, the idea of circulating. We have a, an avalanche of questions and very interesting questions. And uh, I have to tell you, I'm very impressed that everybody who came uh, stayed for the whole time in terms of the attendance. So that shows the interest, the interest of the topic uh, commands, uh, you know, uh, among a very wide audience. So thank you very much for everybody. Obviously, this uh, webinar will also be available on demand um, for more people to come and listen to it. And again, tremendous thanks.